So we are in week three of the Real Life Olympics, and here is what we're talking about today. She just like fell into the hole. Like that's not the plan. You're supposed to go over the bar, not just fall in. But in life, so often it's like that. Bad things happen in the world because people like us make bad decisions. In fact, you and I played a super critical role in every bad decision that we ever made. We were present for it, we made the decision, we signed the dotted line, we agreed to the date, we picked up the drink. Every single bad decision that you and I have ever made in our life, we were immensely critically part of it. Because we decided, it's our life, we made our decisions. But the thing is, is we're not making these bad decisions willfully and, and, and understanding all of the, uh, the events and all of the consequences that are gonna happen. We have a scapegoat. That's what I wanna talk about today. Not just a scapegoat, but a reason, a background, an undercurrent that leads us to make bad decisions so that our life looks like the people in the video where what happens is absolutely not what we intended to happen. And that's what we're talking about today. And that force, that thing, that event, that cause, that pull inside of all of us is temptation. It's temptation. And what it does is it eats away little by little, taking us from the way that we expected life to go, the way that we expected relationships to go, the way that we expected raising our kids to go, the way that we expected marriage to go or our jobs. And, and it just little by little eats away at that. It's a little drink here. It's a little hit here. It's a little bit of a fight here where I raise my voice a little bit. It's clicking on a link a little bit too long. It's going one step too far down the rabbit hole that leads us and separates us from the way that we want to live our lives. It's temptation, it's normal, it's part of life. And we, since it's the Olympics, we're gonna look at not just the disgraceful bronze or the shameful silver, we're gonna look at the person who actually got everything right around temptation, who set an unbreakable record, because it's the Olympics, the unbreakable record around temptation, and that is Jesus. We're gonna look at how Jesus looks at, how Jesus dealt with, how Jesus defeated temptation. And if you're thinking, well, that's totally ridiculous, story because I'm not Jesus, and what applies to him doesn't apply to us. The thing is, and the first point that I want to get to real quick, is that temptation is normal. Temptation is normal. The story that we're going to look at, there are some things that are extraordinary in it, some things that are outside of what's normal for us, but it begins with stuff that's very, very normal. We're going to be in Luke chapter 4, uh, verses 1 to 12. That's why it's on screen, so you can look it up in your Bible or in your app. If you're looking for a Bible app uh, where the Bible lives in your pocket, uh, download U version, both words spelled out, Y-O-U version. Download that. We're going to be in the New Living Translation. Uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 1. And it starts this. The, the story that begins with temptation is normal begins normally. It says, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. All right, temptation is totally normal. What I want to get at right here is that up to this point, Jesus had done everything right. He hadn't sinned. He had gotten baptized. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He honored his parents. Like everything that you're supposed to do, he did. And what happened? The devil came to attack him because temptation is normal for all of us. And also what we're going to see right at the beginning is that Jesus was tempted in normal ways. 
The first thing that the devil went after with Jesus is something that you and I have been tempted at before. If it's not happening now, it was happening when you were a little kid, and I'll bring that up in a little bit. But temptation is normal. There's never a point where... If you're listening to this thinking like, man, I'm in the middle of a struggle right now. I'm in the middle of a storm. And once, maybe someday, I will get spiritual enough so that these things go away. They're never going to go away. Temptation is normal. We see Jesus, who never sinned, doing everything right, and the devil himself comes to attack it. Which means that if it's applicable to him, it's fully applicable to us. So temptation is normal. Second point that I want to make is temptation comes from the devil, and he plays dirty. So Jesus, he's doing all these things. He goes out in the wilderness. There the devil attacks him for 40 days. And through that time, Jesus ate nothing, and he became very hungry. Like, that's life. That, that's reality. You don't eat for a while, and you're going to get hungry. You're going to get angry. You're going to get short-tempered. You're going to get tired. And there are going to be things that with a clear head and a full stomach, you would say, oh, that's not a good idea. But when we're hangry, when we're hungry, isolated, and tired, that's when we get hit. And so the devil waits for that moment to come at Jesus, to kick him in his weakness, because the devil plays dirty. I was talking with somebody else about this passage, and they say, you know what, this is, this is where Jesus was at his absolute strongest. He'd just been fasting for 40 days. He'd been in God's presence for 40 days. Like, his power just must be immense. And I think, that could be true, but that's not me. Like, I skip one meal, and my temper is gone. Like, my patience is gone. My temper is through the roof. Like, I haven't had breakfast yet, so I'm already, like, 90% hangry right now. <laughs> He went 120 meals with no food, and that's when the devil shows up. The reason that the devil shows up because is that at that moment is because the devil knows that Jesus is weak, and so the devil shows up to kick him in his weakness. He doesn't wait until he's surrounded by people. He doesn't wait until he's well encouraged. He waits till he is isolated and hungry and alone, and he attacks him. So he says this, Verse three, the devil says to him, if you are the son of God, and that's where you hear the record scratch. Because if we take where we are right now in Luke chapter four, verse three, and we rewind it, if you start looking back in your Bible or in your app, first thing you're gonna come to is a long list of Hebrew names that you didn't use for your kid. So after you get, to, after you get through the Hebrew phone book, there's a story about Jesus getting baptized. And why that's significant is because they did baptism in that day, similar to how we do it here. You got your religious community around you. The, uh, John the Baptist, he put Jesus in the water. Jesus comes out of the water. And that's where the similarities stop. Because at that moment, the heavens open. Light from heaven comes down, shines on Jesus. The voice of God says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And a dove from the sky floats down and rests on Jesus. Like that's God in three persons coming to recognize the fact that Jesus is the son of of God. Huge moment. And so what does the devil go after first? He says, if that was true, if that was actually something that'll make a difference, if that was actually something that's relevant for you, if that's actually something that wasn't just an emotional experience, but is legit, if that's true, right away, he tries to create doubt in Jesus. And that hasn't changed over the last 2000 years. You look at the way that the devil tempted people in the Bible, and right away, his go-to strategy is get them to stop believing things that they've believed to be true to this point. So the devil goes after recent history. Right after Jesus is baptized, the devil says, are you really the son of God? 
That's important for us because our identity determines our biography. Who we understand us to be determines the direction and the quality of our lives. If we think that we're trash, if we think that we are a waste of space, every single decision in our life is going to follow that trajectory because our identity determines our biography. And all of us have those voices, have those battles inside of our heads where we think we are not who God says we are. We are not a loved, cherished, blood-bought son or daughter of God. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you think I might not be worthy. If you are a Christian, you probably at some point have thought, I'm not worthy of this love of God because of these things that that I've done, these things that have been part of my life. And the thing is, is when those doubts enter our head and we just, dis, like, just decide I'm not going to think about it, I'm not going to go there, and they go to the back of our mind where they're just not an issue anymore, they don't go there and die. They go there and they lift weights. They lift weights so they come back stronger. And the only way for us to defeat these stronger doubts, these stronger demons, is to become stronger ourselves is to live in and understand and know and learn about who we are as God, as God's sons, as God's daughters. Temptation pushes us to forget our identity as a child of God. Next, temptation encourages us to do good things at bad times. Temptation encourages us to do good things at bad times. Verse 3, the devil said to him, if you're the son of God, what's what's his first demand? He says, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. That's the devil saying you should make food and you should eat it. And it's not that food's bad. Like the devil says, take the stone, make it bread. A few chapters later, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And he's not sinning in that. But in this moment, God told him to fast. God told him that this is going to be a set aside period of your life where you're not going to eat. So at that point, for him to eat would have been sin. It's not that cookies are bad. It's just that when your kid is five and you're going to eat in three minutes, cookies are bad for them. They should not eat cookies. For us, that was all of us growing up, right? There was a moment where when we become adult, we can eat cookies whenever we want. But when we were a kid, you shouldn't. We've been in a message about sexuality or about uh, temptation for 10 minutes, and we haven't yet talked about sexuality, so now we're peeling that thing off, okay? God created sex on purpose. He created sexuality to exist within marriage. God designed bodies to work together, a husband and a wife, mutually for physical pleasure. And the thing is, is he created that to exist within marriage. So the idea of men and women having sex is something that's completed by God, is, is created by God. But he says there's a time for it to happen. There's a time not for it to happen. And I want to say, as we're talking about temptation and everything that I've touched on so far, if you're thinking, man, that's already my identity. That's already a lot of my story. I don't think there's any hope for me. There's a ton of hope for you because Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's us. We are the target of his reconciliation mission to bring people back to him. And so temptation encourages us to do good things at bad times. And the thing is is that created things that God brings into the world, whether it's cookies for kids or sex for us as as grownups, he created those to exist within his timeline. And so part of temptation is to rush the timeline, is to say, I want to do this my way. I'm not going to be patient. I'm going to do this my way on my time for my results. And temptation pushes us away from trusting God in his timeline. Verse 4, it continues, but Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Temptation shows us what's in our hearts. 
That's the next thing. Temptation shows us what's in our hearts. Jesus' response to temptation wasn't something that he pulled out his smartphone, the original tablet, like a big chunk of wood, and Googled really quickly, how do I resist temptation? It was something he had grown up learning. So he's got a response to temptation. He's got a response to accusations from the devil already in his head. There's something that one of the pastors here, it's this guy, uh, he likes to say often, and he'll pause and he'll say, it's the, the read your Bible method. It's Pastor Aaron saying it that way, the read your Bible method. Okay, This is how we change what's in our heart, because the things that we put into our head have a way of determining what happens in our heart. We read the Bible, we read God's love story towards us, God's love mission into our life to change our lives and to save us from ourselves, and that's going to change the things that happen inside of our heart. Because we no longer see sin as just, well, something interesting to try. We see it as something that God wants to save us from. We no longer see temptation as, well, that's just the way that it is. We see an area in our life where God wants to bring freedom and God wants to bring restoration towards us and for us. Temptation shows us what's in our hearts. And what it does also is is it reminds us that the moment when stuff falls apart, like in the video, the moment that stuff falls apart isn't the moment where it goes public. It's the moment where things begin to fall out of balance. It's the private moments, the things that only we know about. That unless they get addressed, unless light is brought in, unless godly people, unless the Holy Spirit is brought in, it's going to continue to spin out and it's going to lead to our destruction. Temptation also inspires us to achieve good things through bad means. Temptation inspires us to achieve good things through bad means. Verse 5, then the devil took him and revealed him, revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they're mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me, Jesus replied. The scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Okay, so I read this, and the devil is saying, I'm going to let you be over every single country, and you get to make the rules for every country on the face of the earth. And I say, that's great. Like, how good would that be if Jesus was suddenly president? No more Democrat problems, no more Republican problems. Jesus is in charge. And then he's governor, and then he's mayor, and then he's police chief, and all this stuff. And everything gets solved, not through policy, but because God says, this is how we're doing it now. Like, I say, that's awesome. But the thing is, is that was 2,000 years ago. If Jesus does that, he doesn't rise from the dead. There's a really nice 30-year reign where everything is great around 0 A.D., And then you and I hit the world in 19-whatever, 20-whatever, and there's no more salvation for our sins. We're stuck in our sins because Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, became sin and didn't rise from the dead for us. There's no hope for salvation. The means by which we have a relationship with God wasn't because Jesus took over every country, but it was because Jesus laid down his life so that we could have his perfect life, and he takes all of our sin. It was a good thing for Jesus to be in charge. That'd be amazing if he was president of every country. But instead, God had a different plan. And instead of sending a president, he sent a savior. And so that's where we read this. Like, it would have been a great thing, but it's not God's plan. Temptation inspires us to achieve good things through bad means. It forces us to be patient that we're going to achieve good things through good means because God is going to grow patience inside of us to make us more like him. 
Next thing, temptation emboldens us to purposefully sin and not care about the consequences. Temptation emboldens us to perfectly sin and not care about the consequences. So verse 9, you know, slowly it's just been more secretive, more secretive, or starts secretive and gets more public. Verse 9, it all changes. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, the center of the city, and the highest point of that where everybody could see him. And he said, if you are the son of God, jump off for the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and to guard you. This is like outright disobedience. There's two types of sin in your life and mine. One of those is deception, where we don't expect that that person is going to lead us down a bad road. We don't expect that one drink is going to totally mess us up, or one hit is going to totally mess us up. That one time to the casino, or one bet is going to ruin our financial situation. That one time going on Amazon and buying that one thing that we don't need, we never expect that one thing is going to lead to a lifetime of destruction, but it happens. The other side of sin is where we say, I don't care, I'm doing this anyway. And this is decept- This is rebellion. What the devil is calling Jesus to. It's not just you're hungry. It's not just you want authority. You know that the road ahead of you is going to be tough. It's let's do it my way and we can be done today. This is outright rebellion. It's the moment where we decide that we know that it's wrong and we're going to do it anyway. And it's also the moment where parts of our heart become closed off to God. Where we think that he can't work. He's not going to work. He's not going to do anything. I'm dead to God. And that's not true. Because as long as we have a pulse, we have a life that God can work through. It's hope that Jesus can bring for you and for me. And so the devil tells him, I want you to jump off. And he has a plan behind it too. He's not just asking him to outright rebel against God. He's giving him a plan. Because temptation wins when we don't get caught. Temptation wins when we don't get caught. So the devil tells him, jump off. And then he starts quoting scriptures. For the scriptures say... He will, lead, he will order his angels to protect and guard you, and they will hold you up with their hands, and you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. No one will know. Heard that before? No one will know. This will just stay between you and me. This is our secret. Temptation wins when we don't get caught. All right, so I told the story for a service. Didn't tell it any time before that. So mom and dad, if you're listening, hello. Um, when I was 14, okay, so let me back up. I turned 40 a couple months ago, and I think right around 40 is the age at which it became easier for those of us who are 40 now. If you're younger than me, you grew up, and you're, if you're a man, you hit puberty around the time where it was easier to get pornography than it was to avoid it, because all of a sudden the internet was there bringing everything to our phones and then to our pockets. But if you're older than me, you actually had to find it somewhere. You had to like walk or find it or steal it. You had to do something other than just log on. So when I was 14, uh, we moved to a new house and there was a gas station at the corner and they sold gas station magazines with lots of pictures and no clothes. Um, And so at 14, figuring out puberty and stuff like that, I decided I'm gonna walk up to the store and at 14, five feet tall, 72 pounds, I'm gonna buy a magazine because I got five bucks. We can make this happen. So I take my five bucks in my like Velcro wallet and I walk up to the store and at 68 pounds, I brace myself and open the door and get my foot in because I need to get the rest of my 55 pounds in there. Uh, And I walk up to the counter and I say, hi, I'd like one of those magazines. And the guy looks at me and he says, no, get out of here. So I said, okay. So I turned around and I walked home and I told until first service, nobody, which means that there is no truth spoken into the situation. 
There is no dad coming into the picture and saying, son, this is part of life, but this is a situation that you take to Jesus. This is something that you don't walk down. There's no friends around me saying, I tried to do something like that too. It was dumb. And I found that not even going down that path is a better route. There was no protection. It was me and a legion of decisions and like battles for the rest of my puberty years. There is no hope for that because it stayed secret. For us in our lives, temptation wins when we don't get caught, when stuff continues to be just our issue. We're going to get into what, how to handle that in a little bit. So the devil comes to Jesus, says, this is going to be just our issue. You should jump off, trust me. And Jesus responds, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. So where's the hope in this? Where does that story get redeemed? Where does the brokenness that's come into our lives because of the way that we've failed in temptation and definitely not gotten the gold medal, where does that get redeemed? Temptation gives us daily battles to surrender to God. Temptation gives us daily battles to surrender to God. Media team is going to put a picture up uh, of our kids' building. This is a couple weeks ago. Uh, above the door, you can see a really small little black hole. Uh, I was working in the kids' room. I came out because I uh, was going to go do some other stuff. And as soon as I shut the door, I heard this horrible buzzing sound and felt getting stung a lot on the back of my head and on my arm. And so I dropped my Taco Bell, dropped my water, dropped my keys, and hauled butt down the ramp and got out of there. Took off my shirt, squeezed as I could, and just like started whacking all the bees that were inside that hole that came out when I slammed the door. That's what surrender looks like. I don't care about lunch, and you know how much I love food, especially Taco Bell. Water, keys to my car to drive my butt home. I am out of there. I had surrendered to the battle, and I'm saying I'm just getting out. That's the way for us to fight temptation. It's not to push it down and make sure that it doesn't come back because those voices don't stay in the back of our head. They lift weights, and they come back stronger. It's to run. And there are three things I want to talk about for how we fight against temptation. The first one of those is we run. We get out of the situation however we can. We cut off the addiction however we can. We bring people into it, which is the second thing. First, you run. Second thing is you get back up. First service, there were a bunch of us around the room who had blue shirts on with tiny little dots. Right now, I think it's just me and Tim, but first service, it was some people here, some people in the back, some people over there, some people over here. And the thing is, is none of us called each other. We just woke up this way and decided this is a shirt I'm going to wear today. And when we bring temptation into light, that's what we find out. We find out that there's other people all around us who have the same, who are wearing the same battle that we're going through. We get out first. And then we get back up. For me, uh, I got back to the office, my office here, took out my phone and texted some friends. I'm like, hey, I encountered some unexpected wasp issues at Sunnyside. You want to help me patch the hole? I'm calling out to people who know more than me. I'd never patched a hole like that. I didn't have a clue what to do. I figured it out. But the third thing was, is I covered the hole. Not so that nobody would know, because I'm going to talk to you guys. And I'm going to take pictures of it. And I'm going to send it to Tim and Anna and say, hey, look what happened at church. Um, but because now, there's no more wasps coming out of there. I opened the hole. I took out the nest. I'm doing the work with spray in one hand to kill anything that moves and with a saw in the other to cut the hole out so we can pull out the nest and all that stuff. It was great. At one point, I sprayed a wasp and just kind of like dazed it. So I grabbed its head with the pliers and then took pictures and sent it to my friends. I'm like, I win today. 
But that's how we fight it. We run. For some of you, if you're gripped by internet pornography, what that means is you get a dumb phone because you can't look up porn on a phone that has no internet connection. That's your way of running today. Second step is you get people around you, and the third step is is you cut off the head of the addiction. If that means you go sober for the rest of your life because alcohol has ruined you, then that's what you do. That's what I do because I don't want to open a door for that to happen in my life. We run, we get back up, we cut off the head, we cover it up, we make sure it's not going to happen again. And that's what happens is we surrender battles to God. When we do that, we experience God's love and God's protection and God's grace for us. And if you're thinking, man, this is all great for somebody else, but God, where's my struggle? Where's my addiction? Does this even apply to me? We ask that question and God is going to answer. And the reason that he's going to answer is because he loves you and me. It's not going to be an answer of bad news either. It's not going to be like, you have disappointed me so much in this area, and now you need to pay for it because you didn't know on your own to ask. He's a shepherd. He's going to lead us into what's right. He's going to lead us into truth, offering us a way out of our battle against temptation, offering us strength that we didn't have, offering people to fight alongside with us that we didn't know about before. That's God giving us victory in the battles that we surrender to him. And the last thing is temptation will be constant in our lives. Just like God's love, Jesus' restoration, and the Holy Spirit's power. Like, I love the way that this verse ends, that this story ends. It says, when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. Now, that might sound bad. I want to tell you that there's hope in here. Because if you lost your last battle of temptation, your last time that you were tempted to drink, tempted to smoke weed, tempted to do whatever, to to gamble away money that your family desperately needs, last time you were tempted, that's in the past. And there will be another opportunity. And where there's joy in that is because our God didn't get tired. As you look at your life, your relationships, your things that you have made a disaster, we worship a God who rebuilds. We worship a God who restores. We worship a God who takes our past defeat and turns them into present victory. And that will never get old. That is a constant. That regardless of how well you did yesterday, God loves you today. Regardless of how well you chose yesterday, Jesus can restore you today. Regardless of how strong you were yesterday, the Holy Spirit wants to fill you with fresh strength today. To live in victory that our families might not know before us. That generation by generation, our parents, our siblings have fallen on their face in this. But God wants to lift us up and he wants to lead us in this that our life up to this point might be determined and marked by this failure over and over again, Jesus has a new future for us. And just as he rose from his own grave, he's leaving, leading us from death to life, from disaster to rebuilding, and to the destiny that we have as his sons and daughters, through whom he wants to bring glory to himself. Through defeated, tempted, failure-prone men like you and me, men and women like you and me, God wants to bring victory. So let's stand. We're going to pray.